Well, welcome everyone to this election forum, which has been hosted by Kato Matatoi A Iwi and convened by Natoi Advocacy Network. Of course, no my haramai to our, our politicians tonight, Jonathan Young, Chloe Swarbrick, and Carmel Sipuluni. I thank you all for being here. Now, tonight they're going to explain their arts policies, their vision, and take your questions. So do make sure to put your questions into the comments bar, and we will facilitate those uh, on your behalf. We're going to ask uh, each of our politicians to speak to their arts policies. We're going to give them three minutes each to do that. So we're going to start with uh, Carmel Sipuluni and then Chloe Swarbrick, followed by Jonathan Young. So, Kayakwe, Carmel, over to you. Uh, it is a privilege for me to represent the Labour Party uh, and also our primary spokesperson for arts, culture and heritage, Jacinda Ardern, as well as the other uh, Labour associate spokesperson of arts, culture and heritage, uh, Grant Robertson. And perhaps the fact that we have three ministers for the arts is indicative uh, of the relevance and the value that we do place on the arts sector. Can I also acknowledge how difficult COVID has been uh, on the arts, culture and heritage sector? It has globally impacted on the arts. A little while back, I was invited on a call with the Australian state and federal ministers to discuss the implications for the arts sector of COVID. Uh, at that time, we had just come out of lockdown. We were at level one. We were finding some semblance of, a semblance of, of normality. Uh, our New Zealand Symphony Orchestra had just performed live alongside Macy Vika in Wellington uh, to a full audience. South theatres had resumed, things were starting to get underway. We discussed on that call uh, the supports in place and I heard from uh, some of the other ministers in Australia concerns about how they were going to support and rejuvenate their art sector. Some made comments that their wage subsidy was not readily available to many artists. Uh, my reflections were that it had been devastating for our art sector as well. Uh, our wage subsidy, however, was accessed by artists and arts organisations in New Zealand, we were rolling out what was a significant arts recovery package, a package that was informed by the sector themselves. In fact, I spent many uh, hours on Zoom with different cohorts from across the arts sector to ask what was needed, not just for survival, but for sustainability of the arts sector moving forward. But I never went as far as to say that we had um, completely sorted which what, what was going to be a huge challenge for us as a country. Uh, our arts policy heading into this election is very much informed by what the sector have told us they need. Uh, the announcements to date uh, by the government have been COVID related, but are very much aligned with Labor's five point plan. It is about investing in people. It is about jobs, jobs, jobs in the arts sector. Uh, it is about preparing for the future and less obvious, but I believe also uh, important, investing in small business uh, and also positioning ourselves globally because we know that our arts help us to do that. The funding is mostly for two years and is unashamedly focused on not only getting us through this, but making sure we are well positioned once COVID passes. The list of where we have focused our investment in the arts sector is long. Uh, we've already committed this money, so there will be no U-turn from the Labour Party on this support. And I think that's important uh, to note and to also check with the other political parties that are running. Uh, I think it's also important to note that where the funding has gone or is going, um, because the list provides a clear picture of our commitment to the arts. Chloe. 
My name is Chloe Swarbrick. I'm a Green Party MP, have served uh, for the past three years in this first term of our historic uh, time in government and confidence and supply with Labour and obviously with New Zealand First in coalition. I got involved in politics uh, actually because of the closure of my favourite music venue, uh, the King's Arms. It was as a result of poor planning regulation, you know, the kind of final nail in the coffin was a cheap apartment block was going up next door and of course in established music venue uh, was the kind of collateral damage to that. So I was also working at Neck of the Woods on Karangahape Road and at 95 BFM, so also hold the broadcasting portfolio and have an immense interest in that. However, uh, I just I just want to foreshadow with these opening comments the trajectory of the kaupapa of the Green Party of Aotearoa New Zealand. You've heard a lot and you always will. I guess one of the common buzzwords of politicians nowadays is to speak about the sustainabilities of sectors. And of course, sustainability is incredibly important, but I think that we need to be moving uh, that mahi from the position of sustainability, which is kind of poised in equilibrium, to one of regeneration. So when we're talking about arts, culture and heritage, it's incredibly important to the Greens uh, that we move into a space that acknowledges a kind of te ao Māori, you know, and the, and the ilk of Sir Mason Jury's Te Whare Tapawha, focusing on our cultural identity, our sense of belonging, and therein the overlap with mental well-being in particular. I think here, uh, as I spoke to last night on a mental health panel, uh, that it is really important that we also have these deep uh, and sometimes quite controversial discussions about de- uh, or rather extricating the kind of inextricable links at the moment between lotteries funding and that which goes into our local communities and into our arts. I also think that perhaps in the same way with mental health, we have moved towards some cross-party work and long-term strategy that we can perhaps do the same in the arts, culture and heritage space. Here I think that we can perhaps learn from the mahi that the government has laid down in the screen sector 2030 uh, kind of pipeline and operate in that same form of partnership from an overarching strategy therein. COVID-19, as Carmel outlined, was a period of time that hit this sector incredibly hard. But I also want to say, um, with many of my friends as artists, that you know, business as usual wasn't operating all too well, particularly before that. But during COVID-19, a huge number of Kiwis turned to film, to music, to podcasts, to books, the same kinds of arts and culture that we so often bag as a waste of money and resource. And I guess that, I hope, is the kind of prompt for the rest of the corridor tonight. Thank you. Thank you for that, uh, Chloe Swarbrick. Um, we're going to go now to Jonathan Young from National. Kia ora koutou. Thank you for the opportunity to, to participate uh, this evening. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in my home in uh, New Plymouth in Taranaki, and uh, I lived in Auckland for uh, probably 22 years, so I understand um, and appreciate just the the the, the breadth of um, experience of people that are uh, in uh, our great city up there uh, look I think the challenges before us are, are substantial um, as we as we look to um, how we're going to navigate through a COVID world uh, and I think that uh, we would be um, very mindful that that is the challenge before us um, I know that Creative NZ um, did a survey of the people of, of Christchurch and uh, discovered that 72% um, of the inhabitants or, you know, of the people of Christchurch believe that arts, culture and heritage were a very integral 
um, component to the rebuilding of the vitality of their city. And look, I think that we must have the same attitude and understanding uh, that as we as we start to bring back together the vitality of our city centres and our communities, um, that we continue to um, promote um, the arts, culture and heritage sector as um, as a wonderful opportunity just to enhance the well-being and enhance the connectivity in our communities. Uh, and it, it simply is because uh, so much of what we do in this sector is about appreciation of other people's contributions, their creativity. Um, there's such an emotional um, opportunity for people to connect. And uh, there is, uh, you know, the aspect of celebration of who we are. Um, and it enhances our identity. Thank you for that, uh, Jonathan Young. Uh, great to hear from all three of you. Thanks for setting the scene and, and outlining your vision. Um, as Kate Powell said in The Big Idea, while the most significant budget boost in a generation is to be applauded, it's what we do with the money that really counts because if it's used correctly, there is a chance to create rejuvenating change. That takes careful planning and consultation, but as always with the arts, we will need to be prepared to go off script. So... Let's go off script with our politicians now. And I'd like to start with uh, Carmel Sepuloni with the Minister. The Greens have a comprehensive arts policy already available. It's been there for quite some time. Uh, where's Labour's? Look, I think it was really clear in terms of the investments that we made at the last budget, which I think have been understated. And perhaps because of what you pointed out, Mariama, that they were announced um, gradually, they weren't announced as an entire package, um, but it is significant. And some of the uh, funds that I referred to will carry us through uh, for the next two years at least, and then continue that investment. And so, to but where's on your arts policy? So that's announcements. You yes. would think that that would um, then be followed up by a comprehensive arts policy that could be viewed Effectively, online. Effectively, Miriam, I'm not going to shy away from the fact that those are investments for the next two, three, four years. And so the money has been invested. The sector told us what they needed for the next two to three years. And so that will continue to be our focus, whether it be rolling out the partnership that the Ministry of Arts, Culture and Heritage is building with MSD to uh, create careers for job seekers and creative arts and industries, uh, whether it be the continued investment in Matauranga Māori, uh, the investment that we have finally made in our Pacifica festivals, all of that is a plan moving forward. And so in terms of uh, any additional uh, information on top of that, I think that we have strategically already thought through with the sector what the plan is and it's in front of us. When will you release that in a form that can be viewed and read. Most of the detail around what will happen over the next two or three years has been rolled out. Our manifesto will be released in the next couple of weeks. But can I say that we're not creating something from scratch. What we have invested in and already committed money to is what the sector asked us for. And so this is not a government or politicians making decisions by themselves. This is actually a call from the sector. Well, that's a good point, and, and we will we will um, talk about that more later. Can I ask you, Jonathan Young, uh, National's arts policy? When will we see that? Uh, you'll probably see that in the next week or so. Um, uh, I mean, I've, I've got bits of paper here that specify some of those particular um, policy um, areas that we're going to go with. Yeah, can I? When can we see it in the next week or so? You're saying? Uh, yes, indeed. Um, 
can I can I say that I did actually um, ask the Minister of Arts, Culture and Heritage, you know, on a right honourable Jacinda Ardern, on what sort of advice she received regarding all the allocations in the COVID Recovery Response Fund. And I'll tell you what, out of all of those different fundings, uh, the answer came back um, that they hadn't received any advice. And maybe that's just what was told me, um, because except that there'd been advice around the budget process from Ministry of Culture and Heritage. Um, and Are you questioning Carmel um, saying that she engaged with the sector? No, I'm not. I'm just saying that, um, that there wasn't any information given to us in terms of the depth of consultation. And I just think that that's such a uh, important thing to do. I'm, I'm very gratified to hear Carmel say that that took place. If you look uh, at my ministerial diary, you'll see multiple Zoom meetings with the art sector, particularly over lockdown as we planned this, uh, Jonathan. And I did say as the junior arts minister out of the three of us, uh, and given that out of me, Jacinda and Grant, I might have been the least busy during lockdown, I'm not saying I wasn't busy, that I would lead the consultation with the sector. And, and I did. Yeah, which is very good, uh, because I do think that the, the that the co-design element is quite critical. Um, yeah. Certainly, and certainly we uh, would be totally committed to that process, not just in terms of the uh, of the response recovery fund that was being established, but going forward, because I do think there's an opportunity to do a reset um, in terms of where does our creative sector uh, see the opportunities yes. going forward for our nation. I'm sure there's burgeoning ideas that uh, that you, you want to uh, communicate back. So let me ask you this, Jonathan Young. You're very active in your energy portfolio. Um, you know, I was looking at your Facebook to see what kind of um, posts you've done around arts and the arts sector. The last one was April 26 when you suggested the government needs to urgently develop a, a support package for New Zealand's uh, live events and creative arts sector. Uh, April 26. The government did do that. I haven't seen anything since then. I've seen a lot of stuff around your energy portfolio, but not much uh, out there around your interest in the arts. Can I ask you how important the sector is to you? Oh, well, actually, it's um, it's incredibly important. I I I love the sector. Um, I feel that I'm uh, somebody who can bring a lot of support and um, energy to it. Um, yeah, it's 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 probably fair to say that in our energy sector, um, particularly in our region of Taranaki, it's a particularly important um, area locally. But I have um, perhaps, as Carmel has during lockdown, had a lot of connection with the arts, culture, and heritage sector as well. Um, I probably haven't posted all of those sorts of meetings and engagements on Facebook. Um, as likewise, I probably don't do that with the meetings that I have with the energy sector as well. Um, so, so, so anyway, tell, well, tell me what you made of, of the government's uh, funding support package for, for the arts this year. Um, I think it left a lot of people um, wondering whether something was coming or not, um, and it came out in a number of tranches. Uh, and I've I've heard some people say that they felt it could have been um, better directed. Um, but however, that's always going to happen. People will say that, and that's no criticism of the government. I think the package they have put together um, is good and substantial, and we will continue to support it if we are in government. Um, and I do think there is an opportunity through that, uh, not just to respond and to recover, but to think, okay, how can we use this this kind of once in a lifetime opportunity to um, to kind of reimagine what the sector can do. 
Um, and look, there's lots of challenges there, and Carmel is, is well aware of those. And um, and I think that this is a, I think a portfolio that I think the comments be made where there could actually be quite quite solid cross-party support. Um, and I'm certainly prepared to give credit where it's due. I just wanted to just double check with you. So, so Carmel uh, said that we know you turn on this funding uh, going forward of the support. So you're saying that should national take power, there will be no change to this funding uh, level? Yeah, essentially that's correct. Okay, good to hear. Um, Chloe, Swarbrick, so the money is there, you know, it's to be, to be applauded. People are very happy about the level of the money. What is lacking, what the sector is asking for is a vision. Um, what's the priority in your view for that funding? The first thing to note is that, of course, the Greens were in support of a package which the Minister acknowledged. So this was of critical importance to us as well. And I think that, you know, moving forward, we need to make sure that this funding isn't just something that drops off the face of the earth come two years down the track. And to ensure that that doesn't happen and that we actually end up with whatever oscillation of government occurs in future times, that strategy and that cross-party work offers um, a fantastic platform to build what I said should be not just a sustainable sector, but one that is ongoing and regenerative unto itself. So I actually think that the best pathway forward is right here tonight. Uh, we get all of the political parties who seem to have indicated that at a baseline there is support for what's currently occurred to agree to, at a baseline, the kaupapa of cross-party work to establish a strategy in the same way that we have seen strategies established for the screen sector. That 2030 uh, 10-year plan is fantastic. And from my understanding and from the discussions that I've had with those who operate in that sector, had huge amounts of buy-in with all of those from techies through to actors through to production. So we have the opportunity to do the same with an overarching arts and culture strategy. And on that, just in summation, I note that tonight, obviously, we're talking primarily about Tamaki Makoto, uh, but I want to make sure that we don't neglect the regions um, in this because, you know, I was uh, down in Invercargill probably last year and I found there that as a result of um, Invercargill Library losing its, uh, sorry, Invercargill Art Gallery losing its local space uh, and the local government not having the resources to fund the procurement of a new space, they've effectively moved into a little closet in Invercargill Library. And the kind of focus that they see on Tamaki Makoto from Wellington, from the Beehive, kind of does understandably make them somewhat angry. So I think that we need to make sure that kids in this country, that adults, that all people in this country, regardless of wherever they are growing up or wherever they live, have the opportunity to engage with our arts and culture. Okay, let's let's go into that a little bit more then with Carmel Sepuloni. So, strong sentiment from the from the arts sector that a, a cross ministerial approach um, would be useful. One that takes into account the arts influence across a number of different sectors: industry, education, health, for example. I presume you support this notion, and if you do, what does that look like to you? How will you roll that out? I absolutely support that, Miriamma, and we're already seeing some of it when, um, I mean, I'm fortunate that I'm the Minister for Social Development, Minister for Disability Issues, Associate Minister for Pacific, uh, and then, of course, uh, more recently, ACC, but, of course, Arts, Culture and Heritage Associate as well. Uh, and 
it, it should never be underestimated, the overlap, the way those portfolios complement each other. Uh, and it's been interesting for me to even work between that MSD and arts, culture and heritage space, uh, encouraging MSD to think beyond the uh, traditional jobs that um, they encourage people on benefit to go into, uh, to create the opportunity for opportunity uh, for for people to pathway into jobs in the creative arts and industries. We've seen it already in the last couple of years with when they have their uh, employment expos for those on benefit, they are thinking outside the square and we do see the creative arts and industries in there promoting uh, jobs that are in the sector. And so we see some of that. We also see- So how do we, how do, we do this then, uh, Minister? How do we get that uh, cooperation going? The cooperation's already happening. I think it's um, going to be even more fast-paced now because of the environment that we're in. Um, but the point that was made, I think, you know, by um, the organisers of this event, that we lack some of the, the research that we need um, that clearly demonstrates the benefits of uh, of the arts, culture and heritage sector to health and well-being is very clear. Implicitly, we all know it, um, but the research perhaps isn't there. Uh, and some of that needs to happen. I've commissioned some work around creative spaces, and it's very clear the impact that that has on mental well-being. Uh, and it's clear on the ability for that to be a platform for people to have access to employment and just participation in their communities. Uh, so there is more to do, but the work is underway. It was underway pre-COVID, I have to say, Miriama, but COVID has presented us with an opportunity uh, to to do make further progress in this area. Jonathan Young, your your thoughts. What would you do? Oh, look, I think um, I think what COVID has done, um, like it does right across um, all the countries of the world, it brings to light underlying issues, whether they are uh, health, medical, or whether they are economic. Um, and so what this pressured point of time has done is um, expose vulnerabilities. Look, I think the opportunity exists for the arts, culture and heritage sector to be very, very much centre uh, to the economic recovery around particularly our hospitality and accommodation sectors, around the revitalisation of our city centres, of getting people um, not just back to normal, but actually engaging in, um, I think, experiences that are, are really vital to um, what it is to to celebrate being a, a human um, and I think that uh, a lockdown no matter how long it is for us you know it was a matter of less than less than two months um, it certainly has brought out the appreciation of the things that we can do that um, give us enjoyment so um, again so again look, you're, think, you're talking about really lovely ideas and, and what we need to do is what I'm asking you. How are you get a cross-sector or cross-ministerial approach going? And, and is that something you even consider important? Uh, look, yeah, I, th I think I think the opportunity is there. Um, and look, for example, what's happening in our city, and I'm sure happening around cities and, and towns around the country, is that the arts and cultural sector are putting together numbers of events that will um, kind of get people back out and back engaging. Uh, and look, and there's opportunity for government to come behind and support that. And certainly, I think from the package that the government have put together, there can be some funding opportunities around that sort of activity. Uh, look, you know, you look at um, our copyright laws, if we want to enable our uh, creative sector to export um, and to protect their IP, um, 
order in order for it to be strong enough that it actually um, welcomes and invites investment so people don't think that what they invest money into is going to be uh, somehow undermined by uh, you know people illegally copying things and distributing them um, is important as well. Um, so look, I think there's a lot of opportunity and I think that we've got to see this as a huge contributor to not just national well-being but also national GDP. And you know so sometimes you have to kind of talk that language to get the economic uh, thinking people engaged in the opportunities that exist as well. Sorry, you have to talk in economic speak. I would like to ask uh, Chloe about that. $11 billion to GDP, 90,000 jobs uh, generated from this sector. Why do you think the sector isn't uh, valued for its economic contribution? Well, um, if I can just be completely straight up and blunt, I think it's that oftentimes it's because people who attempt to justify things in so-called economic speak are sometimes rather disingenuous in doing so. Even the very notion of GDP, gross domestic product, it was originally known as gross national product, invented by this guy called Simon Kuznets in the 1930s, took it to US Congress, was like, hey, Here's a really good way to measure economic transactions, but God forbid, do not use this as a measure of the welfare, what we now call well-being of our people, because GDP does not distinguish between the quality of transactions nor the distribution of them. GDP goes up when somebody gets cancer, when somebody's in a car crash, when there's an oil spill, when there's a natural disaster, because there has to be economic transactions in order to undo that social ill. So actually, I really push back on the notion that we need to talk about it from a GDP or kind of economic perspective, because I also have made it a real mission of mine, this uh, kind of election cycle, to push back too whenever politicians invoke the notion of the economy, because I really ask that whenever a politician talks about the economy, they have it incumbent on them to define what they see as the economy. The economy, by, de by definition, is very literally the allocation of our resources and what we value. So for me, the question is actually about what it is that we're trying to achieve through the social contract. And, you know, there's a number of different economic theories that you can apply to that, sure, in terms of the resources that we deploy, the things that we value, and how we choose to prioritise them to improve people's outcomes in life. And on that point, you know, I think that there is a massive correlation to particularly mental well-being. And I touched earlier on the fact that we have a big problem with regard to the kind of inextricable link at present between lotteries funding um, or lottery takes and particularly pokey machines in our um, communities that are typically the most impoverished and how they end up relying on that for local community or creative funding. So on this, um, Miriama, I would say that Actually, if we want to start meaningfully talking about things like mental well-being and communities being forged and bonded together and who we are as a country in terms of our identity, then arts and culture is at the very is at the centre of that. So it's about focusing on arts and culture for the sake of arts and culture. Because if we justify this from an economic frame, then as soon as it becomes unaffordable or less economically um, interesting because there's some new technological development or perhaps we can replace actors with AI, then all of a sudden you can drop kick it. So the Greens are very much focused on people and on our planet as well. 
So I want to pick up on one of the points that Chloe Swarbrick made, um, Carmel Sepuloni, which is the lotteries, uh, gambling um, revenues that uh, that our arts are heavily reliant on. Creative New Zealand's funding, I believe, is sixty-seven percent from uh, lotteries. Uh, do we look to separate that out and come up with a new funding model? Look, you know, we've had conversations around the table about this and it is certainly a longer term conversation that should be had. Uh, but we're not in a place to shift from that right now. Uh, and I'm not going to pretend we are. I think the point that Chloe and Jonathan both picked up on and had a, had differing views on, I just want to make... Um, the, I guess it's a very clear differential between us as political parties. You know, Jonathan went down the economic value track. Um, Chloe wants to go down entirely the well-being track, uh, and we're about both. Actually, <laughs> I think a lot of artists, a lot of the artists and the art sector, um, want their worth to be seen in in terms of well-being, but also the worth and the value that they bring to this country. And so, you know, I see that with Māori and Pacific artists. It's, we're not just out there dancing for the sake of dancing, uh, actually. There are well-being value, there's well-being value, um, identity value for our children that are growing up, installing in them who they are has a huge impact on um, their trajectory moving forward. Um, so then, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I do, I do need to pick you up on this because you're talking beautifully about the wellbeing impacts of this sector. Uh, at the same time, you're saying there doesn't appear to be any other way of addressing the fact that so much of the funding comes from um, a space that is not about wellbeing, which is lotteries. Not right um, now, Mariama, but it is a conversation that needs to be had and there needs to be thought put into that moving forward. So I won't uh, deny that the point that Chloe is making is a good point, um, but I won't pretend that we're in a position to shift from where we currently are at the moment. What, what needs to happen to make that shift? Oh, look, a lot of thinking. If I had the answers, then potentially we'd make the shift, um, Mariana. Okay. But it, it is certainly yeah, conversations about how we do this better. J Jonathan Young, what, what do you want to say about that? Yeah. Oh, look, um, just a comment um, Carmel made that I was just heading down the kind of the economic... No, I'm not. Um, I do see that as a... Um, I do see that as an important element because... Um, in any budget that's put forward of support and investment from the government, um, you've got to compete against other sectors as well who, who want that support and investment. Um, so being able to say that, okay, if it's well-being, if it's people actually, um, you know, having a better quality of life, a more healthy quality of life, okay, that's a good thing. That's substantial. That is worth entering into the debate and the contest around that. Um, and I think as, as we continue to see evidence of communities being positively affected by um, culture and heritage and the arts and the creative sector as we continue to see more and more jobs, a wonderful thing. Um, but we've got to balance the books at the same stage. We can't keep printing money forever. Um, look, coming back to the issue around um, the lottery funding, um, look, when it comes to pokies, look, I, I see that as a particular issue because there's a, there's a very strong addictive power that they have. Um, Probably not as um, when I look at somebody going in on a Saturday and buying a lottery ticket um, and the funding from the, the profit the government gets out of all of that goes into the arts culture and the sports heritage and the community trusts and organisations. Um, so I think that we've got to be quite um, 
like quite focused on on being aware and cautious of those particular activities that actually create harm. Um, and you know, I, I I kind of agree with Carmel on the situation that we've got to start uh, posturing in the our, our communities and society um, away from dependence on that. It's a it's a tragic thing actually uh, when you have um, organisations that seek to do good in our community having to have that reliance. So you, you, you agree that we do need to extricate the arts from that funding model? Well, I think, I think from funding models that actually create harm. I don't think, I think it's inconsistent. And, you know, people might say, well, you've got to take a pragmatic view. Um, and look, all of those become debates, as um, Kamala said, around the table, um, around that. So, I okay. um, oh, look, I, I, I just agree with your sentiment. Okay, but both of you have said we need we need to do this. Any thoughts about how soon something like this can be um, achieved? Any well, it's goals? Going to, it's going to require replacement for that funding, um, and yeah. that is then going to require actually us being a, a stronger, more productive, um, wealthier country, um, in a sense, you know. And so all of those things um, have to be taken into consideration. Okay, well, let me come to Chloe Swarbrick then. The Greens want to provide incentives for non-arts-based businesses to invest um, in the arts so the sector can move away from these, these um, funding streams. What, what would that look like? So our policy line is to provide for these donations to non-profit, that's the important element of that, to non-profit art and creative organisations, making them tax deductible like charities are. But Miriama, I just really feel as though I need to also respond to um, the kind of stipulations that it's somehow really difficult or impossible to um, disaggregate the kind of funding that we receive as a government from uh, people gambling and the perverse incentive that that creates to actually up the number of pokies, for example. And this is simply a matter of political willpower. I'd actually also say that having been around the table on a very, actually not all too dissimilar issue of the cannabis referendum and dealing with Treasury and trying to ring fence funding that was immediately put into harm reduction from the sale and supply of that substance, how much pushback there actually was for ring fencing. So the very notion right now that we have ring fenced funding that comes from uh, lotteries going into arts and culture speaks to an anomaly inside of our funding system at present. So the fact that we are upholding it is a perversity and it actually could disappear relatively overnight if there was the political willpower. I don't disagree with the fact that that funding would have to come from elsewhere, but again, all of the funding at present from those pokey machines, from that gambling, would otherwise just simply go into the pot. Creating that disaggregation would mean that we no longer have that overt reliance on increased gambling to increase our funding for our arts and cultural sector. So yeah, one of the many ways that we could go about increasing the funding would be through um, greater incentivization of that kind of philanthropic funding, but that is just one part of the puzzle. The other part of the puzzle, I think, is really that long-term strategy piece that we were speaking to before. Um, there is a lot of kind of lip service to the idea of working in partnership or otherwise, and I actually think that our government's done an incredible job, as I keep referring to, because it's a great piece of work. The Screen Sector 2030 strategy is an example, a tangible, concrete example of how we can apply this across Aotearoa, across the arts and cultural space. 
I just want to give um, Jonathan and Carmel the opportunity to respond to your challenge that it's a matter of political will. And the other thing that I just throw on there too is that with COVID closing everything down, uh, the ability for people to spend money uh, on pokies and 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 uh, other lottery uh, and gambling um, streams is is reduced. So therefore, we can only assume that the the income that comes in to the arts will be reduced as well. But your response, uh, Carmel Sepuloni, to to uh, Chloe Swarbrick's um, challenge that this is really a matter of political will. Uh, you know, as I said earlier. Um, conversations have been had and it's something to look at moving forward but we don't have the answers to that at this stage and even sitting around the table with um, New Zealand First and Green colleagues the the answers haven't really been put on the table um, and you know philanthropic funding I have to say um, is, is a great idea uh, but even our social services our proven social services who have um, you know, to some extent relied on philanthropic funding uh, for a number of years, are seeing that dry up because of what we're going through currently. Uh, and so, you know, I think we need to be realistic to a certain extent about the context that we're in. I'm not saying that that conversation about lotteries uh, shouldn't be had. I'm just saying that it won't happen just yet in terms of the change. I'm not going to go into the election uh, saying that that's something that we're going to be able to turn around. Jonathan Young? Yeah, look, I think that's a um, that's a, a pretty clear position that Carmel's outlined there, which I think is quite pragmatic. Um, I do think that we have to be a bit more discerning about when we talk about um, lotteries and when we talk about pokies um, versus some of the other um, elements of, of gaming, I guess. Um, because it all comes down to the fact, and I think that's the case, um, where, where revenue is available to support um, this sector and invest into it um, are being constrained. So, okay, there's a, there's a large recovery fund that's been established and everybody talks about, you know, let's hope that can continue on in the future, but that's going to be dependent on us actually having a revitalised and, and rejuvenated economy. Um, like I said before, we can't keep, um, you know, creating money out of fresh air. Um, so there's some real challenges in the economy and I think um, Carmel certainly has... Um, noted that. Um, and I do think that in terms of what Chloe was saying, I think there's plenty of political yes. will, but, our, um, you know, I just think I think it's it's very, very challenging. Um, and I think that um, if we found the answers very simply, well, heck, you know, we'd be, we'd be very, very happy, but I think they're quite challenging. Oh, I can just, just want to make say... it really clear, can I just make it really clear that what we're talking about here is disaggregating what is a very unusual tether between revenue that is raised from lotteries funding and what goes into arts and culture. Um, Chloe, I think it's admirable that you've raised this and it is an issue that we need to talk about moving forward. But in this COVID context, I don't know if this is front of mind for our artists and arts organisations as they're looking to survive through this period, put food on the table for their families, practice what they are passionate about and what they live for. I don't know if the lotteries funding is the front of mind issue for those artists and arts organisations right now uh, but as i said it is a conversation that we need to have moving forward 
That's and a, I've never um, said that it was the top thing either, just to be clear. Um, I, I'm, I've been incredibly clear the whole way through that a strategy, a long-term vision, and everybody being around the table, again, to the concrete examples that I've been providing earlier are critically important. We're going to go dug down this rabbit hole. <laughs> we're going to go to... So, sorry, Jonathan, we, because we are running short on time, we are going to go to some questions from um, the community very soon, and, and maybe they'll have their own thoughts about how important that... Uh, lotteries funding is or how top of mind it is. It is certainly an issue of concern for the sector. We know that much. I want to, before we go to these questions from, um, from the community, from the sector, to talk about um, Māori dim and toy Māori. So there was criticism, for example, after the first leaders debate, there was there was not virtually no mention of of, um, of Māori dim whatsoever. So how will your let's start with you, Jonathan Young? How will your uh, arts policy uh, benefit toy Māori? Oh, look, it will it will put it at the very centre of our arts policy. It's it's incredibly important, um, not just because of the uniqueness. Of um, of Maoridium, um in our country and in the world, but essentially because um, it is a um, very powerful form of expression that ought to be more and more acknowledged, celebrated, liberated. Um, and I think that um, it does give us an international point of difference. Um, but it's very, I think it's very. We we ought to be incredibly sensitive and careful about how this is, um, I guess, acknowledged and celebrated and released um, in our country and particularly internationally. Let's move on to Chloe Swarbrick. Um, we know that funding equity is an issue. You know, we've heard that there's systemic racism um, inside of the way that funds are distributed. Um, how do we address this? How do we address funding inequities and ensure the health of the, of the Māori um, arts sector? Uh, well, I think the starting point would be to legitimately honour Te Tiriti o Waitangi um, and short of completely reforming the way that our parliament operates from an inherently uh, colonial Westminster uh, way, uh, I think that in the arts and cultural space as a pragmatic measure and something that we can implement almost immediately, uh, I mean, the, the best case scenario would be not just kind of platitudes around placing Māori dim at the centre, but then talking about funding streams as though it's kind of a nice to have or something that would kind of be part of this bigger thing. Um, it would be half of what we're looking at and what we're talking about. So if we're talking about producing this kind of long-term strategy and where we address these inequities, then there needs to be a tikanga-based, a te based strategy, a long-term strategy moving forward. And the revenue tied to that and the commitments that come out of government, but I would hope as well out of a cross-party group, which it appears as though we have um, some interest in tonight, uh, means that that happens moving forward. And therein, I think we also have an opportunity to uh, not only in our schools through the implementation of things like New Zealand history, but also through the media that we produce, the arts and culture that we produce, through the film that we produce, through the books that we produce, uh, through the public art that we produce, that we have a greater opportunity to understand the lands that we stand on. Carmel Sipoloni, your, your views? Uh, you know, I think, um, you know, I agree with Chloe and, and what Chloe was saying about tikanga, it's about how we practice in Parliament as well. Uh, we made it very clear 
as I said, that when we were forming the recovery package, we needed to consult to, with all those that were effective, uh, affected. Uh, and that saw funding go to Matatini, that saw funding go to a Matauranga Māori fund, that saw uh, funding go to uh, places like the Waitangi Trust Board because there was a need and there was a vision moving forward. Um, I've been the, the minister that's done that consultation, but I've got around 13 Māori Labour colleagues who I connect with and consult with too when we make these decisions, and that's really important. But there are other funds uh, as well, whether it be Creative New Zealand, whether it be the film uh, screen industry funding where um, we have to be deliberate and we have to make sure that there is ring fenced funding and all of those funding that are targeted uh, funds that are targeted towards uh, Māori, uh, making sure that Māori have equal access to the opportunities that those funds create. Let's go to some of the questions that have been coming in from the sector now. Uh, how can sure. government support COVID safe policies and venues that see audience sizes increase safely? Um, well, I think the indemnity issue has been raised. It's an issue that I know that uh, has been canvassed with the other Associate Minister of Arts, Culture and Heritage, which is appropriately also the Finance Minister, uh, Minister Robertson. And I don't think any decisions have been made on what that might look like. I will say a lot of our artists have um, successfully um, moved towards digital platforms and are being innovative about how they will um, undertake their arts um, during this COVID period, knowing that in some ways we do have to be innovative and think about how we do things differently. Uh, we saw a lot of that during lockdown um, and I certainly enjoyed it. I'm sure many of the others on this panel discussion tonight did too, um, but it is time to rethink also uh, how we share our arts and so many artists have been very successful about rethinking that to date. Let me ask the second part of that question to Jonathan Young. Is there any capacity for a type of insurance that would guarantee companies are pay out and levels move up and when shows are planned, then they have to be cancelled uh, so that contractors, so that artists can be paid? Well, I, you know, it's a, um, it's, qu it's quite a difficult question because, you know, you'd, you'd want to find a, an insurer who would be competent enough to back that. And if not, then um, if the sector felt that that was something got value and needed, then you'd want a government to be an underwriter as well. And I look, I think that is is quite challenging because um, there's other broader sectors, um, other sectors in the economy that close down. Would you say that to a restaurant owner that we're going to give you an insurance cover um, for all of that? So you're kind of opening up a big, big question. Um, and I think probably I think for the event sector, what they want to know is if we can bring in um, rugby teams and Crankworks is on the list of being able to bring in people, um, how can they bring in international artists? Um, and do we have a stringent enough um, border system and a contact tracing or you know, track and tracing system where people can actually be confident um, to actually plan these events, um, you know, and a, 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 I guess a health surveillance system that gives the confidence for people to be able to plan the events and run them. And look, all of that is, um, I guess, must, most of it um, is dependent on what is happening in the country. And it seems to be, if you look around the world, um, uh, resurgences are happening in different places. We've had our resurgence in a sense that's a lot smaller than it's happening in the UK at the moment in different places. Uh, it's a it's a big, big question that I think is very difficult to find a finite, easy answer to. Uh, any thoughts, Chloe Swarbrick? 
I think it's worth investigating, but I don't think that it's a simple solution either. Um, and I do definitely agree that, you know, ultimately, you know, what we're operating in, as everybody keeps saying, is unprecedented times. That's and it. we could end up as a result of research and development that's happening locally and overseas with the vaccine quite quickly, or it could take quite a while. Um, and there's a number of variables that, you know, are quite difficult to predict. So, um, yeah, it's not a simple solution worth investigating. But on this, I want to totoko the mahi of particularly Save Our Venues, um, operating mostly out of Tamaki Makoto, uh, and the work that they have been doing to raise the profile of particularly our music venues, small and larger. So that was our final question. But what we want to do before we wrap up is give each of our politicians the opportunity to leave a message for us this evening. Um, they've got a minute each to do it. Um, what order do we go in before? We, we'll do it in reverse order. So let's start with Jonathan Young. You've got one minute. Fantastic. Um, thank you, because why is always last and it's nice to be first. Um, look, I believe that the the arts, culture and sector in particular has an opportunity before it that we must recognise and must prepare for. As the world um, gets ready in the next little while, let's hope it's soon, um, to be able to experience internationally again the different cultures and flavours that there are. And um, and I think that uh, New Zealand hopefully being a, a must uh, visit destination that it creates the opportunity like never before for our cultural and arts sector to be able to showcase who we are confidently, our identity, and uh, and see, I think, New Zealand celebrated uh, as a great nation. I'd love to see um, some work done on this, some preparation work, um, some investment work, uh, so that we can make the very most of this opportunity, which I believe is before us, and makes New Zealand like I said, that must-visit place in time to come. Thanks for that, Jonathan Young. Chloe Swarbrick. Um, so I first kind of got involved in arts, culture and heritage from the side of attempting to be a person who produced um, things like theatre and like did it myself. Um, I came to find that my talent and skills were not necessarily in the creativity side of things, but in attempting to produce things. And the main way that I did that was by bringing artists of different kind of disciplines together so that everybody was stronger as a collective. And I think that there's a real opportunity to do the same um, in this space. And I've kind of just flicked on to what's been happening in the comments on the spinoff. And I think that that indicates that there is a lot of passion about this area and all of the different manifestations of it. And I just hope that we see our strength and solidarity to push forward. My final thing um, to say would be, don't leave politics to the politicians. The reason that arts and culture has been so neglected for so long and seen as a nice to have is because it doesn't fit in with a very narrow view of economic success or GDP or any of those other kinds of things. And that's not to say that, you know, you don't need to take a pragmatic view, um, but it is to say that we fund what we value. So make yourselves valued and please get involved in the politics. Art is political. Thank you for that. Okay, and we're going to... Leave the last thought with you, Carmel Sipulong. Oh, you know, I agree with much of what's been said already, um, but what I recognise is that globally uh, the art sector has been heavily impacted by COVID uh, and we want to continue to work hard alongside our art sector uh, to get us through this period, not just to survive, but to be sustainable. Um, and because we want to 
um, look forward to what we are going to look like and uh, how we're going to continue to celebrate ourselves here in New Zealand, uh, you know, through our arts. Um, can I say that the value is in the economic value? It is in well-being and it is in our national identity and how we identify ourselves. And so let's continue to celebrate and work together to get through this period uh, and continue to have a thriving arts sector moving forward. Fantastic. Thank you both. Uh, thank you all rather very much for that. Carmel Cipollone, uh, Chloe Swarbrick and Jonathan Young. And thank you everyone for allowing me to be a part of this evening. It really has been a privilege. Uh,